Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. We want to welcome everyone listening online. We have uh, several families that are at the beach, so greetings from Florida and wherever else beach you're watching this from. We're going to be in Acts chapter 23, so go ahead and turn there. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about a story of a little boy. It was wintertime, and he was so excited about his friend's birthday party, and he had been ready for this party, and you know, parents, how when your kids are excited about stuff, they talk about it over and over and over again. So all of a sudden, it's finally the time of the party, and unfortunately, a heavy snowstorm that turned into a blizzard happened. So this little boy is like, Dad, I want to go, and the dad's like, Son, it's not safe. You can't walk alone. You're so small, and the snow is starting to pile up. And all of a sudden, the boy just kept being persistent. Daddy, I want to go. And the dad said, okay, you can go to the party. So the boy got on his warm jacket and those little cute little mittens and the toboggan, and he went out into the snow. And as he was ready to knock on his friend's door, he made it. He turned around, and he saw his dad walking back to the house. He didn't realize it, but his father had followed him the entire trip. And you know, it's kind of like with God, sometimes our Heavenly Father, we don't realize it, but He's often there without us aware of it. And today I want to give a message to those who are discouraged, those who need a little hope, or if you're not discouraged, maybe you know someone who is. This message is the Apostle Paul's life. He has stood before the Sanhedrin, he's given his case, he hasn't had a fair trial, And now, the very next day, something happens. We're going to read about it in Acts chapter 23, starting in verse 11. It said, the following night, so this is the night after Paul was before the Sanhedrin, and you guys remember he he, he said, I'm a Pharisee, and finally the the Pharisees got on his side, and uh, Claudius Alicius had to deliver him so they wouldn't tear him to pieces. So this is the following night, the Lord stood by him. And said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They had come to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring you this young man to you, for he has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside privately 
and asked, what is this that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I want to pray for the discouraged person out there listening in person or online that you would just give them hope that they would see that you're the God that stands by us even during difficult times. Father, forgive us now of all of our sins and shortcomings. Give us pure hearts. And God, I pray that you would speak hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, again, welcome and to all our fathers. Happy Father's Day. I've entitled today's message, A Full Tank of Cheer. A little pun intended with the gas prices. How many of you have been running on an empty tank lately? You're hoping the prices will go down and they're not, right? Hopefully they will one day. So Paul, at this point, finds himself in a precarious situation. He's, he's went through several missionary journeys, three to be exact, and now the Jews have basically surrendered him to Claudius Lysias, the Roman commander, and Paul finds himself in a hard situation. So today we're going to look at Paul's life, and I'm going to give you three encouraging truths on how to stay positive in a negative world. First truth is this. You can be of good cheer knowing that God is for you when others are against you. So go back at verse 11. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. So Paul was very discouraged at this point in his life. As I mentioned, three missionary journeys. And if you were part of the mission board and Paul came back to give a report, in today's mission boards, a lot of people would say, all right, we're going to furlough you because you've been in prison, you've been beaten, people are trying to kill you. Paul, maybe you should take a personality test. I mean, everywhere you go, people just don't like you, right? But you know, God defines success differently than we do. The world defines success of how many people have you led to Christ and you know, what, what, what's the outcome? God looks at success as obedience. Are you obedient? Paul, in one of his letters, said it like this. One man plants, another man waters, but who gives the increase? God does, right? So God will call some of us just to remove the stones. He'll call others of us to plant, others of, of others to water, and others God will use to bring the increase. So... If we'll throw 2 Corinthians 11 on the screen, this is a summary of Paul's hardships. Now, I want you guys to put yourself in Paul's sandals. He says, are they not servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. So here's his, 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 his working and what, what happened. He says, I have worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I was... Received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. 
I have been in dangers from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? So here's the thing. Paul, by this point, is no doubt very discouraged. Many of us, after the first beat down, we would have given up, right? How many of you, after the first uh, shipwreck, you're like, I'm never going on a boat again? Imagine if you were flying an airplane and it crashed. Would you ever want to fly another airplane again? But Paul knew, I am called, and until God calls me upward, I have to move onward. Until God calls my name homeward, I have to keep pressing forward to what God has in store. So at this point, his religious leaders have forsaken him. He's denied a fair trial. And, you know, I can imagine Satan whispering in Paul's ears, Paul, you might as well quit. Paul, you might as well give up. People don't like you. You're better off dead. Didn't you say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? You might as well go ahead and die, Paul. So here's the thing. Paul had discouragement, but there's something that happened right after this point. Who stood by Paul? Jesus. Jesus stood by Paul. And isn't it good to know what, when the world stands against you, you have someone standing next to you? Isn't it good to know when you want to give up, God whispers, don't give up, I'm not through with you? If you can pass the mirror test, God still has purpose. What is the mirror test? If you can fog up a mirror, it means that God is still working in your life. If you're still breathing out, God is still breathing in. As long as you're alive, God's not through with you yet. Amen? So when you get home, see if you can fog up a mirror. And if you can, keep onward. So uh, Pastor Skip Heisek brought this point up. I thought it was a great perspective. He said at least five times in Paul's life, God either appeared to him, gave him a vision, or showed himself to Paul in a way that Paul said, this is from the Lord. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a few of those times. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's on the road to Damascus. And as he was getting ready to persecute the Christians, what happened to Paul? He saw the bright light, the voice of Jesus, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, Paul had a radical conversion. That was the first time he had an encounter with Jesus. Later on, Acts 16, Paul didn't know where to go. Ministry door was closing. You ever been in a place where you're trying to serve God and doors keep closing? So Paul was like in a really tough spot in Troas. And in the night, he sees a man from Macedonia. And that man from Macedonia says, Paul, come over here and help us. And Paul concluded, God is sending me here. Fast forward to Acts 18, Paul is discouraged in Corinth. And Jesus speaks to him and says, Paul, I have many people in this city. And you've got to bring the word to them also. The fourth time is chapter 23 we're in now. And in chapter 27, which we haven't got there yet, this is when Paul finds himself on a boat that's going to be shipwrecked. And you remember what God told him, you will, everyone will live. You just got to follow my instructions. Five times where Jesus appears to him or comes to him in a dream or in a vision, each time he encourages him. So in the dark of night, a light shone bright. Jesus stood by Paul. And what I want to encourage you is when you're ready to quit, 
Jesus tells you don't quit. When you're ready to give up, when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready just to stop and do no more because life's too hard, Jesus stands by you. I'm reminded of the song, I think it's maybe from the 50s, I can't remember when it was, but you know the old song, Stand By Me? How many of you remember that song? And it's like, that song, I had to look it up on YouTube, Stand By Me. And it's like, no matter what happened, the mountains falls into the sea, I'm okay, just as long as you stand by me. And here's the thing, Jesus will always stand by you. And what you've got to know is sometimes in the dark times, that's when God is developing you. For those of you who are over the age of 40, how many of you have ever developed 35 millimeter film? All right. How many of you young people to making a comeback, right? So it's hard to see this picture, but this is a dark room. Some of you have never seen that. You can YouTube it and it'll show you what happens in the dark room. But basically they take this film and it has this special silver stuff on the film. And in the negative light, it's developed in the dark night when there's no exposure, this film is developed. Now, if you take the film out prematurely, what happens to the negative images? It gets exposed, right? It doesn't develop. The greatest works of art sometimes have to go through the longest times of darkness. Now, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about trials. What if there's a correlation between the trial you're going through and the breakthrough that God has for you? What if the reason why you're going through more trials than your friends is because God has a destiny so great, if you could see to the other side, you would know it's worth it all. Think about Joseph. Do you think he enjoyed being in prison? Do you think he enjoyed being rejected by his brothers at the age of 17? From the age of 17 to the age of 30, he pretty much had trial after trial after trial. But you know what? God's greatest portraits are developed in the dark room. Some of you are in God's dark room right now. And what I want to declare to you is what's developed in the dark room will shine in the light. What is developed in the dark room will shine in the light. So Paul's in the dark room, but God's not finished with him. He's developing a portrait. In the dark room, God is not trying to destroy you, but rather he's trying to develop you. And that's why in the book of James, James tells us in James, I believe it's one Chapter 1, I'm not sure the exact verse, but he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face various trials. Because he says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But perseverance must have its perfect work, that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So here's the thing. God is working in the dark room. So what did Paul, what did Paul hear Jesus say to him? First of all, Jesus encouraged Paul. Notice he said, Paul, be of good what? You know you have to be discouraged for Jesus to say, cheer up, right? You have to be running on a low tank of encouragement. And what I would encourage you, some of you are discouraged. And some of you are good now, but in a week from now or a month from now, you'll get something that will discourage you. Throughout the whole Bible, you see God showing up saying either fear not or be of good cheer or fathers. There's one place where Paul says, play the man. I like that. Play the man, man up. Know that God is by your side. He is with you. He's going to help you. Not only does Jesus encourage him, but Jesus, in a sense, recommissions Paul. He says, Paul, you've been a witness for me in Jerusalem. And guess what? You're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. 
So what's encouraging is when sometimes you feel like mission is complete or I've done all I can do, I've gone as far as I can go, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Jesus, I'm not through with you yet. Until I promote you to heaven, to glory, I am not finished with you yet. Jesus was encouraging Paul that there's a greater purpose in his pain. And I would encourage you, if you're following Jesus, there is purpose in your pain. God wants to use your pain and turn it into your platform. He wants to use your misery and turn it into your ministry. If you will just surrender to him, there is purpose in your pain. And someone said... Amen. So here's the thing. What would Jesus say to someone that's discouraged today? Someone that's discouraged, someone that says life has not been fair. What would he say? I think that he would say, I'm with you no matter what. Don't forget my words in Matthew 28, 20. What did Jesus say? I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. He's always with you. He would say, be of good cheer because I'm standing by your side. Even when you feel all alone, just like Paul, Jesus was standing by him. Be good cheer because I still have work for you to do in the world. As long as you're breathing out, I'm still breathing in purpose. As long as you're breathing out, I still have a destiny and I have something for you to do here in this world. So what does that look like? Well, maybe there's a lady here today that you're single and you've tried to date some guys and they've all turned into be jerks. And you're like, there's just not any good guys out there. How many of you ladies have ever been there? If you're married, you better not hit the guy next to you. You know, it could be a single guy that, you know, maybe your wife walked out on you. She left you. And now you're, you're, you find yourself single again. You're like, man, God, just life's not, not been fair. I want to remind you that Jesus is your provider. He's the one that knows better than you know. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. And he knows the perfect person for you. When I say perfect, I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm saying they're perfect for you. He knows the right person for you. There may be someone here today that maybe it's a a lady that's discouraged because you're questioning your sense of worth. And people don't compliment you as they used to. And you're just like, do I still have a sense of worth? And I want to encourage you that you do have a sense of worth. Jesus made you in his image. He not only loves you, he likes you. And as Max Lucado once said, that if, if, if God had a fridge, your picture would be on it. That's how much he cares about you. I'm speaking to a senior adult couple that you're wondering, what about the season of life? You know, like there's more uncertainties in life than ever before. Your health uncertainties, financial uncertainties. You had planned to make it through retirement till age 80. And now it looks like you're going to thank God live to 90. Like, are you going to have enough money to make it? And I want to encourage you, God is your provider. He's your sustainer. He's taking care of you to this point, and he will take care of you forever. Amen? You can be of good cheer when you know that Jesus is near. Second truth, second cheerful truth for the discouraged soul. You can be of good cheer knowing that no one can take you out of this world before God's timing. So in verses 12 through 15, What is ironic is in verse 11, Jesus says, I'm right here. Jesus stood by Paul's side. Now, verse 12, there's a group of more than 40 wannabe assassins. And they've come to members of the Sanhedrin. And basically they said, hey, why don't you pretend that we're going to do another trial? 
And we're really not going to do another trial, but this is going to be a setup so we can kill Paul while he's en route to meet the Sanhedrin. And one scholar brought up an interesting point. It doesn't mention the Pharisees in this group. So most likely this group of wannabe assassins went to the Sadducees, because you remember the Sadducees were anti-Paul all the way because Paul believed in the resurrection and he was a Pharisee. So the Pharisees kind of, they were initially against Paul, but some were kind of, well, let's just see what God has to say to this. Maybe, maybe he's seen an angel or a vision as we talked about last week. So they came and they, they, they got members of the Sanhedrin on their side. So how would you respond if more than 40 people wanted to kill you and the highest court of the land, the Sanhedrin, wanted, basically they, they were willing to have a trial. And so they were on the assassin's side. How would you get through that? Wouldn't you want to quit? Wouldn't you want to give up? See, the thing is, you can be of good cheer if you know that God is with you. You can be of good cheer because what did, what did Jesus say? Paul, you've been a witness to me in Jerusalem and you'll be a witness to me where? In Rome. So here's the thing. Paul knew that no one could kill him. Nobody could take him out because Jesus said, you will be a witness to me in Rome. So here's a powerful principle I want you to get. And this is only true if you're following Jesus. If you're doing your own agenda, you can't apply this principle. A lot of people, even unsaved, not Christian, will say all things work together for good. All, all things happen for a purpose. Well, if you read the rest of the verses for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. So if that's not true of you, you can't claim the promise. OK. But if you are, here's the thing. Nobody can take you out before God's timing. Isn't that good to know? And you're like, well, Timothy, what about the martyrs? What if that was God's timing? No one could take them out before it was God's timing. If you look at Paul's life, that commentary you read in Corinthians, how many times did he almost die or should have died? Many times. It wasn't his time. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus towards the beginning of his ministry the people in Jerusalem wanted to kill him. You remember that he was on a cliff and they were getting ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. And what happened? It says Jesus just walked right down the middle of them. Supernaturally, God just kind of parted the crowd because it wasn't his time yet. So that's a powerful principle that nothing can happen to you. If you're following God's plan, nothing can happen to take you out until it's God's timing. And that gives me a little bit of confidence, a little bit of holy confidence that nothing can happen to me apart from God's will, until he's finished with me. Amen. So John Huss, we have a picture here. Let's throw up John Huss. And where's Joe Perry at? Joe, look at this. (laughs) I think that's where Joe got some inspiration from. (laughs) Happy Father's Day, Joe. So here's the thing, John Huss was an amazing man of God, just like Pastor Joe. And you notice his life was kind of short. And you're like, why did he only live this amount of time from 1369 to 1415? It's because John Huss stood up for the gospel. And the people didn't necessarily like it. So I want to read a little account. This happened in 1415. Basically, they, they had John Huss on trial. And the Duke of Bavaria asked him to renounce his preaching. And I want to read to you what John Huss said. He said, in the truth of the gospel, which I preach, I die willingly and joyfully today. So they stacked the wood up to his chest. They lit it on fire. And that's not the rest of the story, though. This blew me away. And I had to, I had to Google several accounts. I'm like, is this, this really happen or is this a kind of a Christian fable? But no, the, there were Christians in the audience singing 
And John Huss, while he was caught on fire, listen to what he's saying. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, have mercy on me. Now, I, I can't imagine burning at the stake and singing a song with Christians in the audience. I'd be like, Lord, help me. And I don't know what I would say, but like, I can't imagine. And you're like, well, Timothy, didn't you say that no one can take you out until it's God's timing? It was God's timing for John Huss. God used him as a martyr to inspire people. I mean, think about how much later, it's what, almost 1,600 years later, and we're still talking about John Huss. So his life still has a purpose. So that's the encouragement for you today, is that you can't live just for this temporary world. You have to live for a greater purpose. And that's what Paul knew, and that's what we should know, is like my life is not just to try to live to be 100, make as much as I can make, you know, can it, sit on the can, enjoy retirement, and then I die. That's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is I'm living for the glory of God and I'm living for the good of others. The glory of God and the good of others. The good of others for the Apostle Paul was to share the gospel, was to love people. And because of that, God used him mightily to change the world. Third principle. This is the principle for the discouraged soul from Paul's life. You can be of good cheer knowing that God is presently working behind the scenes even when you can't see it. So in verses 16 through 22, something amazing emerges. The Sanhedrin, which by the way, you can pronounce that Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. Either pronunciation is okay. The Sanhedrin is meeting and they have someone in the audience that is related to Paul. And you're like, who is this? It's Paul's nephew. Now, did anyone even know Paul had a nephew? So that means he has a sister who has a son. Now, what is the nephew doing in the the ruling of the Sanhedrin? We don't know, but perhaps he's following in Uncle Paul's footsteps. Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee. Many people believe he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So here's the thing about that is maybe his nephew is following in Uncle Paul's footsteps. Maybe he's being trained to be a Pharisee and maybe he hasn't yet come to Christ. So all of a sudden, his nephew hears about this death plot. And, you know, you would think of that as like, wow, how could this be? In Christian circles, we have a big word called providence. Someone say providence. Providence is a word sometimes we have to define because we don't use a lot. But it basically means that God comes through. He provides in ways that you can't see. So the providence of God was Paul had a family member that heard about the assassination plot And guess what? There was a plot in the clot because all of a sudden the nephew tells Claudius Lysias, the commander, about it. And guess what? God uses that to rescue Paul because God wasn't finished with Paul yet. Now, Paul will die eventually as a martyr, but it wasn't his time because Jesus told him he had to testify not only at Jerusalem, but also at at Rome. Right. So here's the thing. Here's the principle in your life. God does some of his best work behind the scenes. Think about in your life, if you've ever had a significant other romantic relationship, isn't that magical? Like, for those of you who are married, I'll talk to the men, it's Father's Day. How in the world did you con your wife to marry you? I mean, many of us are still speculating how. Mike, I still don't know how Nancy said yes. I mean, it's like, it's either a con job or it's providence. I'll I'll go with providence, right? (laughs) I'll go with providence. I think with Joe Perry up there, I think it's because he's a musician, right? The right, Amy, the music drew Amy in. I don't know. But here's the thing. God's got a plan. And his providence 
draws things that you didn't expect. All right, for those of you who have children, when is a baby formed? It's formed behind the scenes where you can't see it. We got some architects, builders in the room, someone that designs a house or a, a grand, you know, building. Where is that formed? It's formed in the mind. It's formed on that blueprint. It's formed old school CAD design, right, William? So here's the thing. Like, think about everything that's formed. It begins in the mind before you see it in actuality. And you're like, where are you going with this, Timothy? Here, here's what I'm trying to say. Dreams start in the heart. They start in the mind. The creative creator puts something inside of you. And all of a sudden that begins to grow and that begins to happen. And providence emerges. So Paul's life is a beautiful picture of God's providence. The fact that he's been beaten, what, five times, 39 lashes. He's been stoned and shipwrecked. And all these things happen and yet he's still going. He's still doing ministry. He's still doing something amazing. It's because God's greatest works often happen behind the scenes. So when Paul was not aware of it, his nephew heard about it. And here's the irony in the text, and I, I kind of laugh at this. Claudius Lysias, okay, a secular Roman commander, he actually doesn't want to go along with this evil plot, whereas the Jewish religious leaders do. So why is it that sometimes Christians are not as loving and kind as some people in the world. You ever notice that? It shouldn't be that way, right? It should not be. So the irony in the text is a secular commander is willing to do what's right and the religious leaders are not. So here's the principle. Here's the powerful principle. It's on your listening guide. It goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. If you've ever asked the question, why are sometimes people in the bar more friendlier than people in the church? You ever asked that? You know, some of you are like... It, number one, it's wrong. People in the church should be the most loving, friendly people on planet Earth. But it goes back to we're made in the image of God. And even lost people, even people that aren't saved yet, even though that image has been marred in all of us, at times they reflect the image of God. At times they do great things. At times they're like, so you have Claudius Lysias. Instead of going with the plot, he does what's right. So even lost people at times can reflect that image. Now, does that save them? Does that merit them salvation before God? No, it does not. But it goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 that were made in God's image, even though the image has been marred. So I want to summarize it like this, that God has something inside of you. And he's doing it behind the scenes. It's providence. And sometimes you can't see it. Sometimes you don't know what's going to come out of it. But here's something I want to take away is that you're created by the creator to be created for the creator. I'll say that again. You are created by the creator to be created for the creator. So whatever providence looks like in your life, God wants you to use it. He wants you to use it in your job for those of you who work. He wants to use it in your family. He wants to use it in your relationships. And God was working in Paul's life. And the providence was, I'm not finished with you. You still have to be a witness for me. You get to witness for me in Rome. So I have a picture coming up. How many of you have ever felt like this? Stressed. People call this adulting now. You ever heard that phrase? Um, well, this past few weeks, Lori and I... Um, and by the way, some of the ladies have come up to me. You better treat your wife better. I am. For those of you who didn't hear the story, it was so. For those of you who didn't listen to it, you got to listen to the sermon. I had a confession. Well, we, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you are feeling the pinch at the gas pump lately? 
inflation going up. And, you know, for a lot of Americans, it's just hard. Like, you know, what I pay for gas now is what I used to make for my salary just when I was in college days. I'm not kidding. It's just like... And uh, so recently we had a, a lot of unforeseen financial expenses pop up. Our fridge broke down and this and that's happening. And to make matters worse, uh, we had our water tested. Have you guys ever done a water test before? If you live out in the country, sometimes they ask you to test. We had, our county officials, we had them come out and test it. And they, got it, they kept trying to call my phone. I'm like, what's going on? And I, I finally get a hold of the county official. They said, sir, you can no longer drink your water. And I'm like, what's going on? And they said, your water's toxic. And I'm like, well, we've been drinking this for seven years. And so they did a test, and the, the, the iron, right, the iron levels were ten times the legal amount. And they said, sir, this can cause neurological damage. And I'm like, well, if you think I'm a little crazy, now you know why. It's the water. <laughs> it's the water, I'm telling you. Neurological damage. So that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So anyways, when we finally called out several water companies to see what we could do with their pure mountain water, at least we thought, the, the results come back. It was going to cost thousands upon thousands of dollars to do a whole water reverse osmosis, all this stuff. And we're like, uh, a fridge breaks and now the water and gas and inflation. And so what we decided to do is drink, you know, get those gallon jugs and uh, seven people, they go like fast. So we're like, keep, they're bringing the gallon jugs. And so anyways, I just had it as a prayer request. I leave it at men's group in Waynesville. And I said, guys, uh, I know you guys are enjoying your mountain water, but mine is polluted. And I showed the story. I said, just pray for me. And so a week later, one of the guys calls me up and he said, uh, how's your water situation? I said, it's okay. We're, we're just drinking bottled water and you know, it's fine. No big deal. Neurological problems. <laughs> And um, so anyways, he said, well, how much is it going to cost you? And I was like, well, I, I shared them out. It was thousands upon thousands of dollars. And he said, OK, well, sorry to hear that. And he hung up and I'm like, oh, well, thanks a lot for your encouragement. <laughs> you ever been there? Like, you know, you ask for something personal and then goodbye. So, all right. Here I am sipping my water and hoping my mind goes back. Not on neurological issues. So. So anyways, he, he calls back that night. He left a voicemail. I didn't pick up the phone at the time. And he said, my wife and I decided we're going to pay for your water system. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I told you it's thousands and thousands of dollars. No, we're going to pay for it. And I'm like, God, thank you so much. And I, I went from stressed out, head down, you know, struggling to now I'm like head up, a little bit of holy swagger in my step. Like, God, man, you're providing. And I share that story. I usually don't share those financial struggle stories with you, but I, I shared that with because someone else may be going through the same thing. And I want you to know that God often does his best work behind the scenes. I couldn't see what God was doing. I couldn't see that all this was leading to, to providence, to unexpected blessing. And many of you could give similar stories where you didn't know how God was going to come through, but he did. And you know what? It's good to have needs sometimes because that gives God an opportunity to come through for your needs. If you always had all your needs met, how could you know that God is provider? But in those struggling times, I go back and I think of the 20-year-old sitting out in the audience. Those struggling times where you're living off ramen noodle and you don't know how you're going to fill the gas tank. It's good to know providence that God provides for those who seek him. Amen. So when we look at Paul's story and just to summarize it, let's throw the big idea on the screen. How can we make sense of what's going on with Paul? You can be of good cheer when you know that who's near. So here's the, here's the beautiful thing. This is anti-prosperity gospel. 
This is anti-easy believism. In this world, Jesus said, you will have problems. You can count on it. You're going to have problems. But he said, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So how do you, in this fallen system, be of good cheer? As long as you know that Jesus is near, doesn't matter what happens to you, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you can run on a full tank of cheer. So three applications, and I'll send you guys out on your Father's Day luncheon. Hopefully you can beat the Baptist crowd that gets out at 12. All right, first big idea, don't quit until God tells you otherwise. Some of you, you came in here, you didn't realize this, but this crazy preacher that's been drinking water that has neurological implications, he had one good truth, don't quit. Until Jesus tells you to change direction, to do something different, until he tells you what to do next, you continue what he told you to do last. And it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. People are like, what is God's will? God's will is to be faithful in the peace he's given you. And as you're faithful to the peace, guess what? He gives you the other piece of the puzzle. And eventually, you're like, it makes sense now. Application number two, live your life with purpose and for a greater purpose. What if your life was more than trying to live to be 100, make a lot of money, and just make it to retirement and travel? What if your life was more than that? What if your life was impactful to others? What, what if the purpose of your life was as you brought God glory, you brought others to God? That's part of it. Third application, get more gospel gritty. And you're like, what is gritty? How many of you know what grit is? Grit is this tenacity. And I, I gave you a little acrostic of your look on your listening guide. The G is gospel focus in everything you do. So everything you go through if you believe in the gospel, it's Jesus died, he was buried, and then there was a resurrection. No matter what you're going through, there's always a resurrection awaiting. And you're like, well, Timothy, what if I'm like John Huss and I die? Guess what? There's a resurrection. No matter what happens, there's always the death, burial, resurrection. So we live in the power of the resurrection. All right. The R stands for reaching upward as you move onward. Paul said that he was pressing on towards the prize of the upward call. The reason why he could get beat down, stone, hit with rods, shipwrecked, all this stuff happening. He says, I am reaching upward as I move onward. So I want you to look at the person next to you and say, reach upward as you move onward. As long as you're reaching upward, no matter what happens to you onward, God is faithful. I intentional in every moment. What if every day you were more intentional than you were the day before? Intentionality. That's important. T is tough skin with a tender heart. All right, we're going to do a survey as we close. How many of you have tough skin? Raise your hand. Naturally, thick skin. All right. Other side of the audience, how many of you have the tender heart? I'm more of the tender heart side. So here's the thing. If you have a tender heart to be gritty, you're going to have to develop the tough skin. Now, you tough skin people, that nothing phases you, you're going to have to develop the tender heart. You need both. This is truth and love. You need both. And the last T is tried and true for the glory of God. Listen, we should be men and women of integrity. That we know that you're going to continue on no matter what happens to you, come hell or high water, as they say in the South, that you're going to continue on. Here's the truth. All of us are like tea bags. You're like, what? A tea bag, how many of you are tea drinkers? Okay, half the, half the rest of you are coffee, right? 
The thing about a tea bag, it's true colors, it's true flavors, and it's true aromas happen when the tea bag is put in what? Hot water. We're the same way. Hot water. When you're put in a trial, your true colors, your true flavors, and your true aroma is going to come out. Whenever you're tested, that's when you know that when you're tested, you, you can trust God more because he's there with you in the test. Amen? So let us be of good cheer knowing that Jesus is near. Let's pray. Father, I want to be more gritty. I realize sometimes I have, you've given me a tender heart, but sometimes I don't have the tough skin. And I know there's people in the audience that's a reversal. They have the tough skin, but not the tender heart. So God, for us who are tender hearted, help us to develop this gospel tenacity that, man, we are going to have troubles. It's not if, it's when. And Lord, for those of us who have the tough skin, but maybe the heart is not as receptive as it needs to be, help that. Father, help us to develop this gospel grittiness. So as we pray, I want to talk to the believers first. If you've been discouraged today, I just want you to be of good cheer knowing that Jesus is near. Just just say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you're near. I thank you that you're near in my struggles, in my failures, in my circumstances, that you're near. And if I know that you're with me always, even to the end of the age, with that, I will reach upward as I press onward. Forgive me where I've fallen short of you in believing that you're with me, that you're always with me as a good, good father. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here, one listening online, that you don't know God as Father. You are a creation of God, but you're not a child of God. The Bible says that only those who receive Christ become adopted into his family. We are all God's creations, but only those who accept Jesus are his children. So if you've never asked Jesus to save you, the Bible says in Romans 10 that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that confession of faith that you can be saved. So if you've never called upon the name of the Lord right where you're at, here, watching online, watching at the beach, to say this prayer, Jesus, I believe the gospel. I do believe that you are God, that you are good, that you died on the cross and you rose again. So Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I turn from them and I choose to follow you from this day forward and forevermore. Father, thank you that we can be of good cheer knowing that Jesus is near. And it's in his name we pray. All God's children said.